Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway, and today we have the wonderful joy of having uh, Nancy Rines with us on the line, who is the author of Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience, and she's going to talk to us today about her near-death experience, which is fascinating. So welcome to the podcast, Nancy. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Well, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about what led up to your experience? Sure. So um, my experience was about five years ago. It was in January of 2014. But before that, for a few months before that, I was in kind of a what I would call a very funky place in my life. I wasn't horribly unhappy, but I was wasn't really happy either. It was I call it my big rut. I was in just a rut, and I didn't really know what I didn't feel like I was living the life that was meant for me. Mm-hmm. And I was a at that point I was kind of vacillating between being an atheist and being an agnostic. I just didn't really believe anything other that I should say I didn't believe anything existed other than just physical reality so I didn't see uh, anything other than just you know the stuff around us as being real I I kind of wanted there to be but I didn't see any evidence for it so I I didn't pursue it I just kind of thought oh you, you know everybody that thinks that stuff is a little bit delusional I think um, yeah. and so I was in this state, I believe in hindsight, my, my soul was crying out to follow a spiritual path, but I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I wasn't feeling on, on track in my life. And that's where I was uh, on, in early January of 2014 when this accident happened that really threw, threw my life a big curveball, one that I really needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about the accident. Yeah, sure. So I was bicycling in, I was living near Boulder, Colorado at the time. And it was a beautiful, sunny day. And I went out on, uh, to run some errands around town on my bicycle, which a lot of us did at that time. We just did all of our stuff from the bike. And I went out uh, to my, got my bike ready had a little bit of, a, of an intuition that I should just put my bike back in the garage and go back in the house, uh, but that I just should do this a different day. But I didn't listen to it, went out on my bike ride, and came into an intersection, of a roundabout, one of those traffic circles, right. where, again, I can't keep it brief because it, it's hard to talk about sometimes. But no. yeah, we got all the time you need. <laughs> really busy texting was coming in from a road to the, my right into the traffic circle, and it turns out that she didn't stop. She didn't see me. She was so busy texting that she just hit me broadside, and um, it it ended up that I was on the hood of her vehicle for a while. Oh, my gosh. And she still didn't see me because she was so engrossed in her phone. Um, she kept driving, and... Long story short, I ended up falling off the front of her vehicle as she was driving and, and hit the pavement and mm. then got kind of partially run over. So I was between her front wheels and got my my body got caught under the under, underside of her vehicle. Oh, my and gosh. And she kept driving, so she was dragging me along. Um, 
but but during this time when my when my shoulder and hip hit the pavement i noticed that i was viewing the accident from kind of two different places which was really i thought was really weird at the time mm-hmm. um i I was viewing the accident from in my body, which you would expect, and I was just terrified. You know, I was doing everything I could to stay alive and was frightened that I wouldn't live through this. Um, But there was a part of me that I call my soul or my higher self that was watching everything, the whole accident happened from a point of view of maybe, you know, 75 feet outside. And... That part of me was very calm and very peaceful and loving and kept saying, you know, this is really challenging, it's really hard, it's very sad, but everything is happening just as it should and everything will be okay. And I had a little bit of a moment where I was, my, the two parts of my consciousness were just struggling with each other. Mm -hmm. I should say my human self was struggling against what I was hearing, um, but I, I was so focused, my human consciousness was so focused on surviving the accident that I sort of ignored <laughs> that part of me that was watching everything happen from outside. So when uh, eventually the by- bystanders to the accident stopped her from driving and the paramedics arrived, and once they arrived, uh, that's when kind of both parts of my consciousness came back together in my body. Um, the pain was unbelievably excruciating. I knew I was in pretty bad shape at that point, um, and they took me. They took me to the ER, uh, where, you know, they they found an incredible number of bone breaks. Uh, I think the total bone, the total frac- number of fractures was well over a hundred, oh and uh, most of those were in my spine. So my spinal column was in pretty tough shape. Oh boy. Yeah. So I, I tried to, I really tried my best to ignore what had happened during the accident because it didn't fit in with my worldview, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that scientific worldview of consciousness is produced by the brain. There is nothing beyond this life. Everything is just physical. But I, that was that started to crack apart a little bit, you know, during the accident. Um, but I, I was so focused on survival that I just, kind of set that aside for a while mm-hmm. and um, it turned out that I needed uh, surgery to repair my back because it was pretty badly broken as you, know, you could imagine um, mm-hmm. the only thing really that would preserve my ability to walk would be to go into surgery and have uh, titanium rods installed to keep my spine you know aligned and, and healing correctly mm-hmm. um, and so I went into surgery. It was actually, the, the accident happened on a Friday. And the surgery was Monday afternoon. So it was kind of a long, painful wait in the ICU that weekend until surgery yeah. came. Um, and I was, I was very scared to go into surgery. I was very nervous that something bad would happen. I was having kind of one of those doom and gloom outlooks on this surgery, but I knew that it was really my only hope for truly regaining my mobility. Um, You know, so I went in and 
they gave me the general anesthetic, which I didn't know it at the time, but I found out later caused my heart rate to stop. Uh, I had a reaction, so it, it, it basically put me flatlined for a little while. Oh, uh, my heart rate stopped, my breathing stopped, my blood pressure went to zero. Um, so I was beginning in the beginning stages of, of clinical death at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that. So what happened to me is instead of experiencing surgery as just this gray fog, which is pretty typical, um, you know, that's what anesthesia is all about. You're supposed to, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. it shuts down your consciousness so that you can't, you can't think, you can't remember, you, yeah, know, you can't, can't experience dream, you can't anything. anything. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not a dreamlike state. It's just right. nothing. Yeah, my understanding um, too is under anesthetic like that, you can't dream. Your your brain, that part of your brain is, is shut down. Right, it is. You're right. Exactly. You can't hallucinate. You can't dream. Yeah. For exactly the reason you just said, it 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 shuts down your brain. Yeah. So what I experienced instead was I woke up standing up on a hillside, which in and of itself was weird because I was standing. Yeah. And, you know, I was just in the OR getting my back fixed. <laughs> so I woke up standing and I felt peace like I'd never felt before in my life. And I felt love coming through me like it was a physical force, like it was. Mm-hmm. that's all that this was was love oh, and wow. I felt accepted and, and welcomed home like I'd been away for a very long time and it, you know it turns out I had um, and I began to wonder what was going on mm-hmm. because this shouldn't be the way it is during surgery yeah I was just wondering about that what your some of your first thoughts were when you found yourself on this hillside because you know here you've been in surgery and all of a sudden you're there and yet you're feeling this wonderful love and and you know acceptance feeling uh, you know are you are you confused at this point or are you you know feeling is it familiar immediately or is it kind of like what's going on you know a little bit of both i it felt familiar but i my human mind what was left of it was still kind of confused because I knew that my body was in surgery. I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my body was very badly broken. But why, what is, you know, I couldn't imagine what this was. I thought, well, wait a minute, what is this? Why am I here? I don't believe in anything after death. I was beginning to think, well, maybe I died, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, wait a minute, I don't believe in anything. So what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> Um, and then there was an answer which shocked me and the answer came from all around me it was it was a voice but it was also a feeling like a uh, beyond all I call it beyond telepathic communication kind of in my body at the same time mm-hmm. and you know this voice said this is your home you are a part of me you are a child of mine welcome home And I immediately knew it was true. And I remembered it all. And I remembered that this was my home, and this is our home, not just mine, but our home. And that whatever existence 
was on earth was simply temporary mm-hmm. but that my real home our real home is this spiritual place that i found myself in oh, fascinating uh, and and if it would have feel like i tell people if it would have stopped there it would have been fine and beautiful yeah um but it turns out that was just the beginning and it was i guess my i had chosen this before i came into life that i would have this experience um and, and come back. But what I fir- what I noticed first of all was that a, a, what looked like a female figure approached me and again welcomed me with love and said that she would be my guide and teach me what I needed to know in order to go back and make my life on earth one that would be beautiful and one worth living. And I immediately said, I don't want to go back there. You know, that's, that place is tough. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Life's hard. Uh, I don't want to go through all the physical recovery um, and whatever else I would have to go through. And she said, well, you know, you've already agreed to go back and, and continue your life. And I said, well, I don't remember that. Mm. So she showed me this image or more like a movie of me before I was born into this body then and now uh, kind of going over some of the things that I wanted to experience and also some of the tasks that I wanted to accomplish that I had been asked to do and then agreed to do and this was one of them and so when once she showed that to me I couldn't really couldn't dispute. I couldn't argue with that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So when she showed that, rem- I remembered it. When so. you when she showed you that, was it? Did it? It uh, was it experienced kind of like a memory. You said it was kind of like a movie. I'm picturing something between a movie and Mary and and maybe like the, you know, Harry Potter where they're going into the into the <laughs> memories and kind of walking. You know, what was the experience like? Remembering it was. It was it was all of the above. It was it was first of all it was it looked like a movie, but okay. it was a movie of me from her perspective. So she was watching this happen. Oh, interesting. So she was showing me her perspective as a witness to me making my agreements. Interesting. And so, then once I started, once she started showing that to me, it was like, ooh, now I remember. It was like all of a sudden, woof, I remembered having been there. Oh, wow. So she must have and been it, it somebody was, that knew you, or that you knew before you'd come to Earth. Right. Yeah. And that's what she explained at some other point during our time together, is that while she hadn't been here on Earth with me in this particular life, um, we had known each other prior you know, to my being born. Mm. So she was helping me out. You know, She was acting as a a teacher or a guide or a helper um, and and was part of kind of a, a witness to my making those agreements. We have, apparently we have people that witness our agreements that will help, help us also keep those agreements when we come in to this life. So, yeah. And the funny thing is that, the funny, interesting thing is that this took place in what looks like a very vague huge room, um, almost like with pillars 
at the corners. It was beautiful, bright light, but kind of foggy, too. It was more energy than it wasn't really a physical place. It was more energy. So that was the, that's and, the place where the memory was taking place, you say? Right, yeah. So the memory okay. itself was, was the, where the agreement was made was in this big, it looked vaguely like a big room with pillars at the corners. Interesting. Um, it was very bright. But what the interesting thing was that I had dreamed about that room many times as a young girl. I'd seen that room before in my dreams. Oh, wow. So when she showed that to me, it was like, whoa. <laughs> You're like, I know this now place. Now I remember what I was seeing. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so then what so, happened What happened next? Yes, yeah, so she, she took me on a tour. It wasn't really a tour. It was really a teaching tour. I call it my semester in heaven. And she spent what seemed like, if I were to put it in earthly terms, about two or three months wow. teaching me certain things um, that would help improve my life here on Earth. Um, some of those were things like how important it is to have bonds, real, true, in-person bonds with other people. So create a, a community of like-minded and like-spirited people around you. That could be family. It could be friends. Uh, it could be religious groups or spiritual organizations, but some uh, create those bonds in person with other people because those are so important, not only for us, but for everyone to have those bonds with each other and to share love and enjoy and, and help each other. So that was one, uh, you know, there were many, many more than just 12, but, uh, one, another one was the, the huge importance of the power that we have in each moment to make a choice. So every time that we show up in life, every day that we show up for our lives, we, we have choices to make, and those choices are very important. When, what I mean by that, here's an example. So, you know, going... If you go to work, if you go to an, to an office or wherever you happen to work, if it's a, a retail setting, when you show up that morning, you can show up with, with a good attitude, with a kind attitude, or maybe with a, with a kind of a bad attitude. But yeah. whatever, however you show up, whatever energy you're holding, whether it's good or, or not, you're passing that along to other people that you encounter that day, whether you realize it or not. So your energy of the, the energy that you choose not only influences the physical, so how I speak to other people, how I interact with other people, but it's also on the, there's a spiritual energy as well that you're bringing into the room, to you bringing into your life with that choice. Um, so those those choices and how we show up in our day or even the choices that we make on how we interact with people mm -hmm. are very important and, and to just pay more attention to those, you know. That's interesting. Or, well, not perfect. We're going to mess up. But, you know, to just pay more attention and try to do better. That's interesting because I've wondered about this. I've heard, 
I've heard a lot of talk about uh, energy and the energy we carry, and I'm not exactly sure what that means. Would it be fair to say that things like your mood and your uh, and your just frame of mind at any given time is that is that kind of the, some of the components of your energy? What exactly does that mean, energy? Yeah, so it's on different levels. So there is the very <clears throat> physical sense of your mood. Your, the words that you speak, your actions, you know, that's very uh, um, very grounded in this physical world. So there is a, a very physical component to it. You know, when you speak harsh words to someone, uh, especially if it's not justified, you know, if, if you're just, um, if you're hurting and there, therefore you hurt others with your words just because you need to get it out of your system, yeah. um, you know, that those words actually can hurt other people. They take that those words in, and, and it becomes part of what's going on in their brains. So there is that very physical, very normal component to this. But keep in mind, one of the things that I learned is that there is no separation, really, on a spiritual level. So we all are connected to each other through the spiritual energy, this divine energy, you will, if you will, um, we're, we're not, we're all, we're all tied together on a beyond physical, beyond the physical. There's an energy that forms the the structure, or the framework of this universe, and and I call it divine love. That's the energy mm-hmm. of this, the base energy of this universe. Um, it's the connection, it's the ties that bind us together. And so that's also affected by us, mm-hmm. positive or negative. So we can influence that uh, network of divine love energy around us through our actions, through our words. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's multifaceted and it's... It, it's hard sometimes to wrap my brain around it. It's so big. <laughs> wow. wow. But if you focus on even on just the physicalness, you know, of yeah. physically, how do I show up and how do I interact with other people? You know, that can help. That can help others a lot. It can help you too. Yeah. It's not just the words that we use directed outward to or with other people. It's also how we treat ourselves in our own brains. You know. Mm-hmm in our own minds, uh, think about how you talk to yourself on a daily basis. And is that positive? Is it loving? Is it helpful? Maybe, maybe not. If it isn't, you know, it's probably time to think about ways to change that because you deserve, you know, you deserve your own good thoughts. You deserve your own love as well. Yeah. That's so interesting. So you're, so you're having this uh, kind of, tour slash kind of a teaching session with your with your guide there i think in in your book you mentioned that it it was it was kind of like luke skywalker being schooled by the force with yoda you know right <laughs> and, and uh and and you say this was going on for what felt like months it, yeah it if if i were now it from my perspective time didn't really seem to pass for right. me while i was there Okay. There was no sunset, no sunrise. Everything was all just the same bright light. And 
you know, a sense of being either in the mountains or trees. But I got it. I understood that that was, in in some part, that what I what I thought I was seeing was invented to make me comfortable with where I was. Interesting. Um, so it may it might not be the true nature of the ultimate state of the afterlife, but it was that in between stage um, that was made comfortable for me. And but but why I say it felt like months is that if I were to put into human terms, physical terms, what I learned and how much I learned and where we went, it would have taken on on this planet two or three months really to learn what she um, taught me in oh, that time. Interesting. So it's kind of a rough equivalent, but it right. gives you an idea, I think, of maybe how much was crammed into me, you know, yeah. during those oh, few minutes that I was there. Interesting. Yeah. So so what happens next? Yeah, so we, we continued to walk, and she taught me, um, you know, besides the power of, of choosing, uh, she also taught about gratitude and love and how they're really two sides of the same coin. So gratitude is really uh, another form of love. It isn't a tool to obtain something that you want. It's really just a way to express love and um, appreciation to another person. And, um, and I think that came about because so many people have been attempting to use gratitude as a way to get stuff, uh-huh. you know, kind of like a backhanded way to, you know, trick the universe or God into giving them what they want. But really, that's not what gratitude's about. Gratitude is really about sharing love and peace and appreciation. That makes sense so then, because because yeah. I've heard, you know, how important gratitude is in, in developing that spiritual nature and, and connecting with God and so forth and uh, linking it to, as, a, as a form of love just makes sense yeah that is so cool and, and it's powerful that way right yeah you know how good does it feel when someone says a really heartfelt thank you oh yeah you know it's just amazing when you feel that from someone else that's um, so cool you know so that's pretty powerful when we can go into that space of gratitude on a daily basis and and really just focus in on the good stuff that we have in our lives. You know, I learned so much, and it's it's all in my book, and or at least a lot of it's in my book, but it was more about how to live in love on this planet and how to live your purpose and live your truth. That's really what it comes down to um, for me, at least from this experience. And so we we continued on, and I, you know... We finished up on another hillside, and she said, well, I'm going to be sending you back to your life now. Um, But I I didn't want to go back. I still didn't want to go back. It was hard to to contemplate coming back, you know, to this broken body that I knew I would have. And she said, well, wait, you know, just hang on. I'll, I'll give you a little healing to make you feel a little bit better, you know, to help you out um, before you go back. And she, 
I mean, I don't know what she did, but from what my perspective was, is she laid her hands kind of near my, some of my most broken bones mm -hmm. and said she was healing me. Um, and then she eventually sent me back, kind of kicking and screaming into my life back in the, in the operating room. I, turned, I woke up in the recovery room and mm. was not happy to be there. I was yelling and screaming as I was waking up. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a happy camper at that point. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, send uh, me back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to be here. What am I doing? Um, but it was traumatic. You know, I felt a lot of trauma at being sent back as well. And it sounds funny now, but back then I was really traumatized by all of a sudden being cut off from what I felt cut off from that divine state of love and peace. And that was hard to let go of that for a while, you know. Um, it, it took me several months of, of working at it to be able to start to feel that again, just a little bit. Not like I did when I was there, but, but a little bit. And, but once I came back, I started, you know, writing down what it was that I experienced. I told a few people that I knew I could trust, uh, but I didn't go public with it really for a while because it just felt too personal. Mm -hmm. And I still felt, I guess, maybe self-conscious about what had happened and, you know, still concerned that it, what was this experience? Yeah. You know, in yeah. time I learned about near-death experiences and I knew that's what I had had, but, you know, at first I questioned it a lot and didn't tell too many people. Um, well, and, so, you had, and you'd come from a, a place of thinking that, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be anything out there to suddenly coming back from a place out there and having experiences, incredible stuff suddenly your whole belief system has been overturned what you know, what are you going to do with that yeah that was the hard part you know i i told i didn't tell my sisters about this for quite a while it was maybe well over a week maybe a week and a half or so after the accident that i started to give them bits and pieces of what happened um but at first, the only thing I would tell them is, I believe that my physical injuries will be the easiest thing for me to deal with. I said the change to my psyche and my my bigger life, you know, the, the emotional, the, I didn't say spiritual, but in my mind it was spiritual. Those other changes, I told my sisters, those are going to take a long time to really deal with and you're you hit the nail on the head you know when someone who has effectively zero belief and in, in anything that isn't physical so I had zero belief in in spirituality at all um and and honestly some disdain for spirituality in you know as a concept um when I was smack dab confronted with it, like, I guess I was wrong. Holy cow. Uh, how am I going to, how am I going to deal with this? It, it took time. 
you know, it took, I would say for me, it took really 18 months wow. to fully embrace what had happened. And that, and I don't mean learning everything I needed to learn from it, which I'm still doing, but I mean just acknowledging what happened and being okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, did your memory of it, when you woke up, was the, was the full memory there with you? Or did it have to come with time back? You know, most of it was there. There were some details that were a little fuzzy. Right. Um, but most of the memories were there. And in fact, uh, as soon as I could hold a pen and write, I started writing about it in a notebook just for myself because yeah. I didn't want to lose it. You know, I started writing down what had happened, and it took it took about I don't know three months or so to write down everything that had happened. Wow. Um, so wow. it was it it was pretty intricate, and and in time, some of the details became less fuzzy. And I think the fuzziness, in hindsight, was due to the um, the drugs they gave me during anesthesia, oh, yeah. because one of the drugs they give you in, is an amnesiac. So it, it, they, their assumption is that it will force you to forget. But yeah. I remembered pretty much everything. Um, yeah. And it did, so the amnesiac didn't work. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I could see why they would why they would do something like that to maybe dull some of the trauma of the accident itself, and right. and yet. You know, it, it's actually kind of remarkable that you were able to hold the memory when you did come back. Well, yeah, that's because a lot of our memories aren't stored in our brains. Yeah. You know, they're stored elsewhere. They're a part of our consciousness, which is not a product of the brain. It just resides here for a little while. Um, Interesting. So if you think about it in those terms, it makes more sense that, yeah. Yeah. that I would remember. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, being on a landscape and and seeing different kinds of terrain and so forth. Can you share some more detail about some of the kinds of things you saw? Sure. Yeah. Um, Now, keep in mind that what I saw was in part created so that I would be comfortable Uh and, and not have any fear. So each person might who who is in this in between state? Like after you, after you first, after your body first dies, you're kind of. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are in an in between state for a little while while they, kind of let go of. Of this attachment to human life, and then kind of okay. integrate what they learn from life, you know. So there's an in between state, and then there's, many, phases of this full on afterlife or heaven or whatever Um, but in this in-between state at least I and many other experienced NDEers will have experienced landscapes or scenery that makes us feel comfortable that's just so we're not freaking out Um, and what I what I experienced was very much being out in nature so Mm -hmm. the first thing that I saw like you said was being on a hillside in a meadow with flowers all around um, they kind of looked like daisies, but they weren't like a daisy that you would see here on Earth. Because if I would t- were to touch one, I could see energy pulsating underneath the surface of 
the flower. So it wasn't just a flower, but there was like layers of energy underneath the surface of that flower that would react to me. So if I, uh, for example, if I were to touch a flower and I felt some sadness about what was being discussed by my teacher, then that flower would change color to reflect my state of being, my, my mood, my emotion. Um, and the same with, with the trees and the grasses. So all of this uh, landscape that I saw around me, including the trees, had not, it wasn't just a, a physical looking object, but there was energy pulsating underneath the surface of it all Hmm. and it was just so dynamic and it's hard to really describe and it looked like something out of a I don't know out of out of of a computer animation but I still haven't seen anybody do a a really good computer animation of this kind of thing Um, but it was multi-dimensional so the stuff the 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 trees that I saw around me were just pulsating with energy. The sky, it was like a bright blue, but it wasn't, it was like a sparkly blue, almost as if it were glittery. Wow. But again, it was pulsating with energy and pearlescent, I call it pearlescent energy. That's like the only term I can find to describe this glow. Wow. Um, but I could see all the connections amongst everything. I mean, there was energy, what I guess is probably divine energy, just running through everything and connecting all of that to me and me to all of that. Um, and the, the, so the landscape would kind of flow with me as we moved, and we'd go through mountain valleys or we'd be up in the uh, high country I, there's a lot of natural areas, but for me, that's a comfortable place to be because I like being outdoors. Um, so that's what it felt like to me. It was just calm and peaceful and comforting, but yet energetic and connected all at the same time. Yeah, so for other people, they might experience, um, I don't know, being in a cabin in the, in the woods or uh, like the movie The Shack. Um, mm-hmm. You might be at a beach you might be in a place that brings back some scary memories for you that you have to deal with so each person is kind of given an an environment with which they can grow and learn and process and that just depends on the person what that first those first few moments are are going to look like for you now you mentioned that uh, this was some kind of an in-between place. Did you get any insight about what might be on, might be beyond if you were going to stay? Yeah, that is the realm. Um, I did ask about that, and I mean, it to me, it felt and and see, I could almost see like a curtain of energy kind of around me, way off in the distance, and that that was the veil or the barrier beyond which I couldn't travel unless my body truly died for real. Mm-hmm. permanently um beyond that so this is this in-between state is the state where we let go uh, where we kind of incorporate what we learned from our lives into our souls into our beings you know where we kind of decompress if 
you know, kind of like like a, a diver might come up from the depths of the ocean and decompress along the way. That's this is one of those decompression stops. Okay. Um, beyond that, my guide told me, depending on what you and the Creator, God, Spirit, deem is your path, you can experience many, many different things. For some, you know, the universe unfolds and you can travel basically anywhere you want. Other people experience, because that's what they want to experience, they experience um, times of intense spiritual learning in uh, like almost like a university type setting. Um, but it, see, this is all beyond physical, so it's hard to yeah. put this into terms that we can understand. But but there are places to heal. There are places to learn. Some people are after they cross through that veil, go on to perform a, a job, and so some people choose to be a guide again. They choose instead of coming back, or you know, God may ask them. To be this, to be a guide, um, it, it's always done in concert with the divine. So we don't—I don't want to forget that. But your job might be to act as a guide for someone else in their lives, and so that's what you do then from the spiritual realm. So once you pass through that veil, a lot of a lot of possibilities unfold depending on, you know, what you and God agree will be your path. Um, but that's kind of when everything unfolds, you know. That's uh, that's the beauty of of the afterlife is really being your full true self. That's so interesting because you know we kind of being on Earth and and uh, you know some of us have religious background and so forth, and so we maybe have some kind of picture of what heaven is like and. And we tend to think of it as one thing, sort of, you know, whatever that thing is, we kind of picture it being, you know, you go and this is what will happen. But right. it, it sounds like it's a whole lot more dynamic than that. I mean, it, it, and it makes sense because you think about even in this physical limited life that we're in, there's so many different elements, I mean, to life that uh, and different kinds of life that you can live. Why wouldn't there be, you know... The, a thousand times more of those kinds of options in the afterlife. I mean, we're eternal beings. We're right. there's there's going to be a lot of options on the other side. Right. Yeah. That's that's what my guide explained to me is that you know you you meaning you the hum, humanity, not just me personally, but right. you as humanity seem to think everything is all cut and dried and very simple over here, <laughs> but it isn't. <laughs> She said it's much more diverse and much bigger and more varied and more amazing than you can ever imagine. Oh, that is so cool. So if you think about the size of the universe, like you said, it makes sense. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do. There are a lot of things to experience. Um, and and it is, it's amazing. And you get to play with it a bit. You get You get to choose along with, creator god spirit what it is that you're going to do next which i find is beautiful yeah you know it's how it, and, but but it isn't it isn't just you saying to god like this is what i want to do there's a 
what I noticed even when I was there in that in-between state is there is a huge desire as a spiritual being to be of service to the greater good. Mm-hmm. It isn't what I want as a person. It's how can I best serve God as who I am. That's what I will do. And that's that's kind of the theme that runs through that heavenly realm or that spiritual realm is, how can I best be of service? And it's so powerful to think about that and to bring that back in just a little bit of a way, you know, to my life here on earth. I try to do that. How can I, just in this moment today, how can I be of service to someone else right now? Um, It puts me in a different place in my day. But that's how heaven really works. It isn't me, me, me. It's how can I help? How can I be of service? That is so cool. And that seems to be uh, a message that seems to ring through uh, most near-death experiences I've ever heard, especially ones as expansive as yours, uh, is is that message of love. And sometimes people will come with the question, well, are you talking about love of God? Or are you talking about love of everybody else? Or are you talking about love of self? And the answer seems to be yes, all of the above. It's all one exactly. <laughs> big, great work that we're all engaged in. Yeah, it's all love. We're all, when I first came back, I was mumbling to people because I didn't really know how else to put it. I, but I said, everything is stuck together with love. Everything is glued together with God's love. God's love forms the structure of it all. And so there is no love of your kids without love of God, really. There yeah. is no love of God without love of another person. It's, it's all love. one. Yeah. And loving self, too, is important because you and me and everyone out there, we are all here because we're, we are creations of that divinity. You know, we're creations of God, of source, of spirit. And it isn't, I'm not saying loving is loving ourselves in, in a narcissistic way. It's loving and appreciating this creation that we each are, which is incredible. You know, that we are given this life from this creator. And how amazing is that? Of course I'm going to appreciate it. Of course I'm going to love it. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to appreciate this life I'm given. That's what I mean by self-love. Yeah. Appreciating the gift that we have in this life. And I think as part of that, when, when you do learn to love yourself with other people suddenly when when people try to serve you it's not like a threat it's not like no i can take care of this myself it's more like thank you i i appreciate that you know and there there gets to be this shared love experience whether you're the one serving or you're the one being served it's it it becomes all one beautiful uh act of love for everyone right you're right i'm you're right on track with that it's it's a big it's a big cycle. It's a big circle of, and that's the way it really works best. Is if we can, you know, support each other, give love out, take it back. You know, give love out, accept it. Being accepting of others' love is so important. Um, and and people show their love in different ways. And and you know, I, I enjoy now. I never I never knew that, but now I understand that people communicate their love in different ways and and now i honor those different ways um and it's beautiful yeah i love it 
Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you talked a little bit about agency before and, and, and about energy and, and so forth. Do you have suggestions for when we find ourselves, you know, maybe our kids are acting up or there's or it's something's just, you know, your boss is getting on your nerves and stuff and you're just finding yourself in a low state. And, you know, obviously we have agency and we can do something about it. Do you have any suggestions about how to consciously change that in energy? So, yeah, I do. So a couple of ideas kind of uh, come to me right off the bat. The first is, you know, take a breather, walk away, and think about three things that you're deeply grateful for in that moment. Just think about three things other than what you're dealing with that really are working well in that moment or in that day. So it could be, yeah, so say, for example, your, your kids are having a rough day and they're acting up. Take a few moments, walk off to, maybe you have to go into the bathroom, maybe you have to walk outside, wherever it is, and take some moments to really feel grateful for uh, what you do have. Do you have a roof over your head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't. So feel grateful for what you do have. Do I have a job? Do I have, um, can I walk? Just simple things like that. Some people don't have the ability to walk. Right. It's an amazing ability that you have in your ability to walk. So take some time, just a few moments to review those things that really are, are blessings in your life. Oh, I love that. The other thing that you can do is take a few moments and just get quiet and allow the word, like a sacred word, to float around in your mind and and just sit with that word. So it could be something like peace or love or joy or God, uh, whatever seems like a calming word for you, and just let that kind of float through you for a few moments. Just say it back and forth to yourself quietly. What, that, what those two things will do, the gratitude and what I call sacred word uh, contemplation, is it takes you out of the reactionary mode and puts you into a more aware and in tune mode. And then when you go back to the situation, you know, you think about how your son or daughter may be learning a really hard lesson and have compassion for that. Yeah. But at the same time, you still have to be the parent, right? Right. And that's compassionate as well. Mm-hmm. And so you can come back into that situation with maybe a more aware and compassionate, connected viewpoint. Mm. That's a good point. Cause, and that explains why I've, I've noticed that sometimes when I find myself just in a bad mood, if, if I let it, I can... Uh, often turn a bad mood into just a kind of a ponderous mood, kind of a meditative mood. And from a meditative state of mind, it's a lot easier to, <laughs> to uh, yeah. bend to a positive, you know, grateful kind of a thing. And, and it also puts you in a place to be able to, to think, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't need to be upset about this. Probably maybe my boss, for example, is just really stressed about the pressure being put on them. And, you know, and, and right. it's a lot easier to look at it, uh, you know, from back, backed off a bit. So, right. And yeah. you can learn something from that situation, too. So I like what you said. You can come back and, and, and analyze the situation. So 
what is my takeaway from this? Yeah. You know, is there something I'm supposed to learn from this or something I can learn from it? Uh, and change the energy, change that, the dynamic that's going on. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nancy, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find your book? And, and if they wanted to uh, uh, contact you with questions or, or ask you more about your experience so forth, how could they do that? Sure. So you can contact me via my website, uh, which is nancyryans.com, N-A-N-C-Y-R-Y-N-E-S.com. Uh, you can get my book there. You can email me. You can watch my other videos or hear other other interviews. Uh, you can grab a copy of the book on Amazon.com. Or if you'd like to reach out on social media, uh, I'm on Facebook a lot and also on Pinterest and in Instagram as well and LinkedIn. So you can reach out through any one of those uh, methods as well. Oh, fabulous. And I'll put uh, links to those in the show notes on uh, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org so that if, if people want to see those, it won't be hard to find them. Well, Nancy, this has been wonderful. Any, anything else you'd like to share before we close up? Well, the, you know, the only other thing that I want to share is that, uh, you know, I was left with, with some really amazing insights and teachings and learnings, but the most amazing thing was that it's, it's really this opportunity we have in this life is really precious and wonderful. And I just want to let people know to enjoy it as much as you can. And, and sometimes, you know, it's not all about being serious and spiritual all the time, right? Have fun, you know, enjoy your kids, enjoy being here as much as you can, uh, help other people and have, you know, have as much fun, look for beauty and just, you know, be your loving and true self and, and enjoy your time here as much as you can. I love that. Thank you so much. And I'm, and I'm going to say for the audience too, you guys got to check out this book. It's, it, you know, we've, we've touched on some of the beautiful things in it, but we've really only kind of scratched the surface of, of some of the things that she talks about in her book. And I haven't even finished it yet, but already I'm blown <laughs> away by some of the stuff in it. So you got to check out her book. And again, it's Wakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. And, uh, and so thank you so much for joining us today, Nancy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate our time together. And I appreciate what you're doing as well. This is really important work. Uh, thank you. So to the rest of you, I, re I can't tell you what it means to me to have you all here and, and listening and, and getting the messages from these incredible experiences that people have. So once again, thank you all of you so much again for listening.